Chapter Seventeen of Starborn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording has been Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Starborn, by Andre Norton, Chapter Seventeen, Destruction Unleashed. The space they now entered must be the core of the building, Raff thought a little dazedly, for there, towering over them, was the round bulb of the globe, and about its open hatch were piles of the material which he had last seen in the warehouse on the other continent. The unloading of the alien ship had been hastily interrupted. Since neither the merman nor Dalgard took cover, Raff judged that they did not fear attack now, but when he turned his attention away from the ship, he found not only the colony scout, but most of the sea people gathered about him, as if waiting for some action on his part. What is it? He could feel it, that strong pressure, that band united, in willing him into some move. His stubborn streak of independence made his reaction contrary. He was not going to be pushed into anything. In this hour, Dalgard spoke aloud, avoiding the mind-touch which might stiffen Raff's rebellion. He wished that some older, wiser elder from Homeport were there. So little time! Yet the stranger with practically no effort might accomplish all they had come to do, if he could only be persuaded into action. In this hour here is the heart of what civilization means to those others. Destroy it, and it will not matter whether they kill us for in the days to come they will have nothing left. Raff understood. This was why he had been brought here. They wanted him to use the blast bombs, and one part of him was calculating the best places to set his two remaining bombs for the wildest possible destruction. That part of him could accept the logic of Dalgard's reasoning. He doubted if the aliens could repair the globe if it were damaged and he was sure that much which they had brought back from the eastern continent was irreplaceable. The bombs had not been intended for such a use. They were defensive, anti-personnel weapons, to be employed as he had done against the lizard in the arena. But placed properly. Without thinking, his hands went to the sealed pocket in the breast of his tunic. Dalgard saw that gesture, and inside him some taut cord began to unwind. Then the stranger's hands dropped, and he swung around to face the colony scout squarely, a scowl twisting his black brows almost together. "'This isn't my fight,' he stated flatly. "'I've got to get back to the flitter, to my spacer.' "'What was the matter?' Dalgard tried to understand. If the aliens won now, this stranger was in as great a danger as were the rest of them. Did he believe that those others would allow any colony to be established on a world they ruled? "'There will be no future for you here,' he spoke slowly, trying with all his power to get through to the other. "'They will not allow you to found another home port. You will have no colony.' "'Will you get it into your thick head,' burst out the pilot, "'that I'm not here to start a colony?' We can take off from this blasted planet whenever we want to. We didn't come here to stay." Beneath the suntan, Dalgard's face whitened. The other had come from no outlaw ship, seeking a refuge across space, 
as his own people had fled to a new life from tyranny. His first fears had been correct. This was a representative of Pax, doubtless sent to hunt down the descendants of those who had escaped its throttling dictatorship. The slender, strangely garbed Terran might be of the same blood as his own, but he was as great an enemy as those others. Pax! He did not know that he had said that word aloud. The other laughed. You are living back in history. Pax has been dead and gone almost two centuries. I'm of the Federation of Free Men. Will the stranger use his fire now? The question formed in Dalgard's mind. The mermen were growing impatient, as well they might. This was no time for talk, but for action. Could Raff be persuaded to aid them? A federation of free men. Free men! That was what they were fighting for here and now. You are free, he said. The sea people won their freedom when those others fought among themselves. My people came across the star void in search of freedom, paying in blood to win it. But these, these are not the weapons of the free. He pointed to the supplies about the globe, to the globe itself. The mermen were waiting no longer. With the butts of their spears they smashed anything breakable. But the damage one could do by hand in the short space of time granted them. Raff was surprised that a guard was not already down upon them was sharply limited. The piled-up secrets of an old race, a race which had once ruled a planet. He thought fleetingly of Lablet's preoccupation with this spoil, of Hobart's hope of gaining knowledge they could take back with them. But would the aliens keep their part of the bargain? He no longer believed that. Why not give these barbarians a chance, and the colonists? Sure, he was breaking the stiffest rule of the service. But, perhaps by now the flitter was gone, he might never reach the RS-10. It was not his war, right enough, but he'd give the weaker side a fighting chance. Dalgard followed him into the globe ship, climbing the ladders to the engine level, watching with curious eyes as Raff inspected the driving power of the ship, and made the best disposition possible of one of the bombs. Then they were on the ladder once more as a ship shook under them plates buckling as a great wound tore three decks apart. Raff laughed recklessly. Now that he was committed to this course he had a small boy delight in the destruction. "'They won't raise her again in a hurry,' he confided to Dalgard, but the other did not share his triumph. "'They come. We must move fast,' the scout urged." When they jumped from the hatch they discovered that the mermen had been busy in their turn. As many of the supplies as they could move had been pushed and piled into one great mass. Broken crystal littered the floor in shards, and puddles of strange chemicals mingled smells to become a throat-rasping fog. Raff eyed these doubtfully. Some of the fumes might combine in the blast. Once again Dalgard read his mind and waved the mermen back sending them through the door to the ramp and the lower engine-room. Raff stood in the doorway, the bomb in his hand, knowing that it was time for him to make the most accurate cast of his life. The sphere left his fingers, was a gleam in the murky air. It struck the pile of material. Then the whole world was hidden by a blinding glare. It was dark, black dark, 
and he was swinging back and forth through this total darkness. He was a ball, a blast bomb being tossed from hand to hand through the dark by painted warriors who laughed shrilly at his pain, tossed through the dark. Fear such as he had never known, even under the last acceleration pressure of the take-off from Terra, beat through Raf's veins away from his laboring heart. He was helpless in the dark. Not alone. The words came out of somewhere. He didn't know whether he heard them, or, in some queer way, felt them. You are safe. Not alone. That brought a measure of comfort. But he was still in the dark, and he was moving. He could not will his hands to move. Yet he was moving. He was being carried. The flitter. He was back on the flitter. They were airborne. But who was piloting? Captain! Sariki! he appealed for reassurance, and then was aware that there was no familiar motor hum, none of that pressure of rushing air to which he had been so long accustomed that he missed it only now. You are safe. Again that would be comfort. But Raff tried to move his arms, twist his body, be sure that he rested in the flitter. Then another thought, only vaguely alarming at first, but which grew swiftly to panic proportions. He was in the alien globe. He was a prisoner. "'You are safe!' the words beat in his mind. "'But where? Where?' He felt as if he were screaming that at the full power of his lungs. He must get out of this dark envelope, be free. Free! Free men! He was Raf Kirby of the Federation of Free Men! member of the crew of the spacer rs-10 but there had been something else about free men painfully he pulled fragments of pictures out of the past assembled a jigsaw of wild action and all of it ended in a blinding flash blinding raff cowered mentally if not physically as his mind seized upon that last word the blinding flash then this depth of darkness had he been you are safe. Maybe he was safe, he thought, with an anger born of honest fear. But was he blind? And where was he? What had happened to him since that moment when the blast bomb had exploded? I am blind, he spat out, wanting to be told that his fears were only fears and not the truth. Your eyes are covered, the answer came quickly enough and for a short space he was comforted until he realized that the reply was not a flat denial of his statement. Sariki, he tried again. Captain? Lablet? Your companions? There was a moment of hesitation, and then came what he was sure was the truth. Have escaped. Their ship took to the air when the center was invaded. So, he wasn't on the flitter. That was Raff's first reaction. Then he must still be with the mermen, with the young stranger who claimed to be one of the lost Terran colony. But they couldn't leave him behind. Raff struggled against the power which held him motionless. Be quiet! That was not soothing. It had the snap of a command, so sharp and with such authority in it that he obeyed. You have been hurt. The gel must do its work. Sleep now. It is good to sleep. Dalgard walked by the hammock, 
using all the quieting power he possessed to ease the stranger, who now bore little resemblance to the lithe, swiftly moving, otherworldly figure of the day before. Stripped of his burned rags of clothing, coated with the healing stuff of the mer-people, that thick jelly substance which was their bulwark against illness and hurt, lashed into a hammock of sea-fibers, he had the outward appearance of a thick bundle of supplies. The scout had seen miracles of healing performed by the gel. He could only hope for one now. Sleep! He made the soothing suggestion, over and over, and felt the other begin to relax, to sink into the semi-coma in which he must rest for at least another day. It was true that they had watched the strange flying machine take off from a rooftop, and none of the mermen who had survived the battle which had raged through the city had seen any of the off-worlders' kind among the living or the dead of the alien forces. Perhaps, thinking Raff dead, they had returned to their spaceship. Now there were other, more immediate problems to be met. They had done everything that they could to ensure the well-being of the stranger, without whom they could not have delivered that one necessary blow which meant a new future for Astra. The aliens were not all dead. Some had gone down under the spears of the mermen, but more of the sea-people had died by the superior weapons of their foes. To the aliens, until they discovered what had happened to the globe and its cargo, it would seem an overwhelming triumph for less than a quarter of the invading force fought its way back to safety in the underground ways. Yes, it would appear to be a victory for those others, but now time was on the other side of the scales. Dalgard doubted if the globe would ever fly again, and the loss of the storehouse plunder could never be repaired. By its destruction they had ensured the future for their people, the mermen, the slowly growing settlement at Hobeport. They were well out of the city, in the open country, travelling along a rocky gorge, through which a river provided a highway to the sea. Dalgard had no idea as yet how he could win back across the waste of water to his own people. While the mermen with whom he had stormed the city were friendly, they were not of the tribes he knew, and their own connection with the eastern continent was through messages passed between islands and the depths. Then there was the stranger. Dalgard knew that the ship which had brought him to this planet was somewhere in the north. Perhaps when he recovered, if they could travel in that direction. But for the moment it was good just to be free, to feel the soft winds of summer like his skin, to walk slowly under the sun, carrying the little bundle of things which belonged to the stranger, with a knife once more at his belt, and friends about him. But within the quarter-hour their peace was broken. Dalgard heard it first, his landsman's ears serving him with a complicated sense which gave the sea-people warning did not operate. That shrill keening, he knew it of old, and at his warning the majority of the mermen plunged into the stream, becoming drifting shadows below the surface of the water. Only the four who were carrying the hammock stood their ground. But the scout, having told them to deposit their burden under the shelter of an overhanging ledge of rock, waved them to join their fellows. Until that menace in the sky was beaten, they dare not travel overland. Was it still after him alone, hunting him by some mysterious built-in sense as it had overseas? 
he could see it now, moving in circles back and forth across the gorge, probably ready to dive on any prey venturing into the open. Had it not been for the stranger, Dalgard could have taken to the water almost as quickly and easily as his companions. But they could not float the pilot down the stream, thus dissolving the thick coating of gel which was healing his terrible flash-burns. And those others, were they following the trail of their mechanical hound as they had before? Dalgard sent out questing tendrils of thought. Nowhere did he encounter the flashes which announced the proximity of those others. No, it would appear that they had unleashed the hound to do what damage it could, perhaps to serve them as a marker for a future counter-attack. At present it was alone, and he relayed that information to the mermen. If they could knock out the hound, his hand went to the tender scrape on his own scalp where that box had left its glancing mark. If they could knock out the hound, but how? As accurate marksmen as the mermen were with their spears, he was not sure they could bring down the box. Its sudden darts and dips were too erratic. Then what? Because as long as it bobbed there, he and the stranger were imprisoned in this pocket of the gorge wall. Dalgard sat down, the bundle of the stranger's belongings beside him. Then he carefully unfastened the scorched cloth which formed that bag, and examined its contents. There was the belt with its pouches, sheaths, and tool-case, and the weapon which the stranger had used to such good effect during their escape from the arena. Dalgard took up the gun. It was light in weight, and it fitted into his hand almost as if it had been moulded to his measure. He aimed at the hovering box pressed the button as he had seen the other do, with no results. The stun-ray, which had acted upon living creatures, could not govern the delicate mechanism in the hound's interior. Dalgard laid it aside. There were no more of the bombs, nor would they have been effective against such a target. As far as he could see, there was nothing among Raff's possessions which could help them now. One of the black shadows in the water moved to shore. The box swooped, death striking at the merman who ran to shelter. A second followed him, eluding the attack of the hound by a matter of inches. Now the box buzzed angrily. Dalgard, catching their thoughts, hurried to aid them. They undid the knots of the hammock about the helpless stranger, leaving about him only the necessary bandage ties. Now they had a crude net, woven, as Dalgard knew, of undersea fibers strong enough to hold captive plunging monsters a dozen times the size of the box, if they could net it. He had seen the exploits of the mermen hunters, knew their skill with net and spear, but to scoop a flying thing out of the air was a new problem. Not so, the thought caught across his. They have used such as this to hunt us before, long ago. We had believed they were all lost. It must be caught and broken, or it will hunt, and kill, and hunt again, for it does not tire, nor can it be beaten from any trail it is set upon. Now, I will do that, for you have the knowledge, the scout cut in quickly. After his other meeting with the hound he had no liking for the task he had taken on, but there must be bait to draw the box within striking distance. Stand upright, and move toward those rocks. 
the merman changed position, the net, now with stones and certain loops to weigh it, caught in their three-fingered hands. Dalgard moved, fighting against hunching his shoulders, against hurrying the pace. He saw the shadow of the flitting death, and flung himself down beside the boulder the merman had pointed out. Then he rolled over, half-surprised not to be struck. The hound was still in the air, but over it now was draped the net, the rocks and its fringes weighing it down in spite of its jerky attempts to rise. In its struggles to be free it might almost have led the watcher to believe that it had intelligence of a sort. Now the mermen were coming out of the stream, picking up rocks as they advanced, and a hail of stones flew through the air, while others of the sea-people sprang to catch the dangling ends of the net and drag the captive to earth. In the end they smashed it completely, burying the remains under a pile of rocks. Then, retrieving their net, they once more fastened Raff into it, and turned downstream, as intent as ever upon reaching the sea. Dalgard wondered whether those others would ever discover what had become of their hound, or had it in some way communicated with its masters, so that now they were aware that it had been destroyed. But he was sure they had nothing more to fear, that the way to the sea was open. In mid-morning of the second day they came out upon shelving sand, and saw before them the waves which promised safety and escape to the mermen. Dalgard sat down in the blue-gray sand beside Raff. The sea-people had assured him that the stranger was making a good recovery, that within a matter of hours he could be freed from his cocoon of healing. Dalgard squinted at the sun sparkling on the waves. Where now? To the north where the spaceship waited? If what he read in Raff's mind was true, the other wanted to leave Astra, to voyage back to that other world which was only a legend to Dalgard, and a black, unhappy legend at that. If the elders were here, had a chance to contact these men from Terra. Dalgard's eyes narrowed. Would they choose to? Another chain of thought had been slowly developing in his mind during these past hours when he had been so closely companioned with the stranger, and almost he had come to a decision which would have seemed very odd even days before. No, there was no way of suddenly bringing the elders here, of transferring his burden of decision to them. Dalgard cupped his chin in his hand and tried to imagine what it would be like to shut oneself up in a small metal-walled spacer and set out blindly to leave one world for another. His ancestors had done that, and they had travelled in cold sleep, ignorant of whether they would ever reach their goal. They had been very brave, or very desperate, men. But Dalgard measured sand, sun, and sky, watching the mermen sporting in the waves, but for him Astra was enough. He wanted nothing but this land, this world. There was nothing which drew him back. He would try to locate the spacer for the sake of the stranger. Astra owed Raff all they could manage to give him. But the ship was as alien to Homeport as it now existed, as the city's globe might have been. End of chapter.